You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 112. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. It's not just about how they fall asleep at bedtime. Sleep teaching is about their 24 hours. Like, are they getting enough to eat during the day? Am I watching the clock, making sure I'm setting them up for success with the timing of sleep? And then when I take away that sleep crutch, that thing, that external thing that they like and know to fall asleep, how am I now offering comfort to those tears? And what age is my child? Like, I'm going to do something completely different with a five-month-old than I might with like a 14-month-old. Hello, hello, veggie lovers. Welcome back to this bonus episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. It is part of the pediatric series of August 2020. And I'm super excited to talk to you guys today about sleep with Dr. Sarah Mitchell, who specializes in helping babies and toddlers sleep. Doesn't that sound like a dream come true? Because I know that I struggled so much with my little ones when they were smaller, and this would have been just such a blessing to know about her. So I hope that you will take advantage of of her resources. And for those of you that might need a little more help, look into all of the resources that she has for you, because it sounds amazing. Before I tell you more about Dr. Mitchell, I want to remind you that I have lots of free resources available at dryami.com forward slash free. So if you're looking at replacing meat, replacing dairy, finding alternatives, uh, a plant-based shopping list, eating out guides, I have lots of freebies there, dryami.com free. You can download one, you can download them all. In addition, There's now two ways that you can support the podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio, as well as my YouTube channel, Veggie Doctor TV. So this is super exciting. Through the end of the month, if you join at the $20 level, you're going to get a autographed copy of my book. You will also get access to exclusive content that nobody else has. You will have access to monthly Q&As as well as fan requests. So I'm super excited about this, excited to connect with you in this community. And I'm so appreciative of your support. It helps us grow this podcast, improve the quality, the content, and then just bring you amazing information that I know is going to really help you for your health and your well-being. If you feel like shopping, head over to dryami.com forward slash shop. It is my affiliate store, all of my favorite things, most of the things on there. I do have affiliate relationships with those products and companies. So 
If you feel like you wanted to buy these things anyway, buy through my affiliate link because that gives me a percentage that we can apply to running the show. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you for for being a loyal listener, for subscribing to the show. That really does a lot to help the podcast grow and of course, rating and reviewing it. I have a five-star review from Jocelyn D entitled Great Informative Podcast. Love Dr. Yami's podcast. I've been meaning to write a review for a while. She's a great interviewer, always asks great questions. She's also very passionate about whole food plant-based nutrition, and you can hear it in her voice. I wish I could have her as my kid's pediatrician. Thanks, Dr. Yami, for sharing all your knowledge and tips with everyone. We need more pediatricians like you. Oh, Jocelyn D, thank you so much. I appreciate that review, and I'm so happy that you found the podcast and that it's helping you. And if you have suggestions or requests for the show, definitely reach out. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please contact your health professional. Dr. Sarah Mitchell. She is a chiropractor by training, but she found her true calling as a sleep consultant when her first child just would not sleep. Since 2013, she's empowered thousands of parents to teach their little ones to sleep and enjoy their parenting journey to the fullest. She's the owner of Helping Baby Sleep, where she offers high-touch one-on-one sleep coaching consultations. She also runs Helping Baby Sleep School Online, a monthly membership subscription for tired parents, including classes on newborns, babies, toddlers, and Helping Mom Sleep, which after we recorded this episode, we talked about her coming back on the show so that she can give you tips on how to sleep yourselves, mamas. She's also on a mission to change the dialogue away from sleep training to sleep teaching to be more reflective of what's happening when shaping behavior. She's a proud member of the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine, and she's currently contributing to research at San Jose State University on the efficacy of her sleep teaching coaching and the effect of sleep teaching on maternal anxiety. Originally from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, Sarah resides in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, son, and daughter. She wants you to know that you can be loving, attached, and well-rested. Well, I have to admit that I learned a lot in the time that we had together on this episode. I feel like in medical school and even in pediatric residency, sometimes you don't learn some of the most common questions, you don't learn the answers. Some of the most common questions that come up, like, I feel like everything I've learned about helping babies sleep, I learned it also through my own experience, you know, and this is kind of what's reflected in what, you know, Dr. Mitchell is telling us in this interview as well, that, you know, we get desperate and then we have to learn it for ourselves, but she has some really great tips. I hope that you learn a lot and that it helps you with your baby and your toddler sleep. But if you need more help, please don't hesitate to reach out to her at helping babies sleep. Okay. Enough from me. Let's go on to this fabulous episode with Dr. Sarah Mitchell.
Dr. Sarah Mitchell, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I love your work and learning from you on a daily basis. So it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. Well, I'm super excited to talk about this topic because as you know, it's so important. And especially for parents of young children, this can dominate their lives, lead to a lot of stress and distress and fatigue. So I think that this is a really important topic that I am including as part of the pediatric series and to talk about lifestyle medicine, because we know that sleep is so important for our health and well-being. And when we have little ones that are not going along with the sleep that we want to have, it can create a lot of problems. But before we start talking about that, I'd love to know about your journey and how did you become a baby sleep expert? I I just, until recently, I really didn't know that people like you existed. So tell me how this happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a chiropractor by training and I have a bachelor of kinesiology degree. So when it came time to become a parent, I felt really confident that I would be able to handle this no problem. And so you can imagine my shock when he, you know, was up every couple of hours in the night, nursing back to sleep for months on end. And I thought, wow, this is so crazy. Like I'm a well-educated healthcare practitioner and I don't know how to get my kids to sleep. Like what is up with that? And I asked my friends and realized that it's kind of a very personal subject. And there's a lot of very strong opinions out there um, and ended up feeling um, kind of abandoned about how to, how to help myself. And this was nine years ago. Things have changed a lot with the internet in the last nine years. And so I started, I put my academic, um, background to work and just researched everything I could about baby sleep and developed a plan for my son to implement. And, um, and yeah, I'm basically self-taught. I looked into taking some of the certification classes, but when I looked at the curriculum, you know, I'd learned these things in chiropractic college and I just couldn't justify more education after the eight years that I've been in. So I just started doing it for free with friends and family and it kind of grew out of that. Um, so it's been a real joy for me to be able to do this and help other parents, um, get their, have great sleep and get life back on track and feel like they're really rocking this parenting thing. Yes, absolutely. No, I can identify so much. So I had my oldest one while I was in medical school and I was so naive and a little overconfident thinking, you know, it was between the third and fourth year. So I had already done a year of like rotations and staying up at night. And I'm like, oh, I got this, you know, like how bad can it be? (laughs) And then whenever you realize that it's not the same as being on call, because you get home, you can put your pager away and you just sleep and nobody bothers you. Whenever you have a child that isn't on that schedule and they're just waking up all the time, it feels like it's never going to end. Like you're never going to get a break and you're just chronically sleep deprived. And so I had to also learn the hard way through uh, my own personal experience, but I I love how you took that and you took it even further. You're like, okay, I'm going to really research. I'm going to learn about this, get my own life the way I want it and help other people. So thank you so much for that. I want to know more about how important sleep is. I know for us as like moms and parents, we just want to sleep because it feels good and sleep deprivation feels really bad, but how is it important is sleep for growing infants and toddlers? Yeah, it's one of the building blocks of health. 
and we just don't prioritize it in the same way as we have maybe our nutrition and whatnot. But it, there's so much happening in sleep, right? Your deep sleep cycles is when your growth hormone is being released. And growth hormone helps our bones grow and our muscles grow and our brains go grow. And also in those stages, you know, your brain is actually being washed of toxins. This is all happening while we're asleep. Sleeping. It's also very important for the formation of memories for our little ones. So there's all kinds of basically neurological growth happening when our little ones are sleeping. Not to mention that when you're lacking sleep, it's very hard on your disposition, right? Kids are cranky. I work with so many parents who describe their little ones as happy on their intake form. And then at the end, they say, I can't believe how much less fussy they are during the day. I just didn't know. I just didn't know, essentially. Um, and it's so important to sleep for our immune systems. Mm -hmm. So when we sleep, so many of our systems start slowing down, like our respiration and our digestion, but our immune system is actually kicking up and going to work. And so, you know, when you don't have enough sleep, a lot of people get sick, right? Because their immune system isn't functioning at the optimum uh, potential. So super important for growth and development. Oh, yes. Very, very vital. And, and just like you said before, we can tell the difference in ourselves and in our children when we're not sleeping well. I mean, I know I have my own tantrums when, I, when I'm sleep deprived. So we can't expect our kids to be able to behave well when they, they're not right. getting enough sleep. So yeah. why do some babies struggle so much with sleep or seemingly struggle so much with sleep? Yeah. So on average, like the average client that I see, they've, they've fallen into kind of two, two traps. So while the drive to sleep is biological, right? We all have a buildup of a protein that signals our brain when it's time to sleep. The way we sleep is actually a learned habit. Mm. And if you think about yourself, if I told you tonight that you couldn't sleep in your favorite position, and then I'm gonna take away your pillows and blankets, you would go through a very uncomfortable period as you're learning and figuring out a new way to fall asleep. So most of the folks that I work with have inadvertently taught their kiddos that sleep looks a certain way. And I did the very same thing, right? I just kept nursing him back to sleep over and over again. So when he was tired or fussy, he thought he needed to nurse to fall asleep. So, and it may not be nursing, it may be bottle feeding or um, being rocked or co-sleeping or sleeping on someone, something external that helps their little person relax and then drift off into sleep. The second reason is over time, these little kiddos, they've gotten a little bit overtired. So maybe they wake up more than the average kiddo in the night, or they're staying awake too long before bed or for the next nap. And when you're overtired, it's actually harder to fall asleep and then stay asleep. So overtired kids, I often see they the report back is that they wake up like every hour or every 45 minutes after 1 a.m. That's classic overtiredness. Or they go, you know, it took us an hour to get him rocked, for the, rocked down for the night, and then he woke up 40 minutes later, mm -hmm. overtired by the time he fell asleep. So inadvertently, and I did the same thing too, inadvertently we teach them what sleep looks like. And there's this kind of fine window between about four and eight weeks of when we're inadvertently teaching our kiddos what sleep looks like. And we've all been taught to put them down drowsy but awake, right? Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is there's a really fine line between drowsy and half asleep. And mm -hmm. so what a lot of us end up doing is we're teaching our kiddos that they, they fall asleep in our arms. Mm -hmm. And then we put them down. And then when they start waking up to the world around four months, that stops being as effective as mm -hmm. it used to be. And now we're like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? We have to keep rocking them, trying to get them um, back down. 
Wow, you're describing my life. I've I've actually never heard anybody call sleep a learned habit, but it makes so much sense. I mean, I'm just thinking about the things that we do. So one of the things that I use with my younger son is a, a white noise machine. And we actually all got used to that. So now we have to either travel with the white noise machine or have it like use an app on our phone. But it, it is, it's really difficult whenever I don't use something like that. It just doesn't feel right. I don't feel like I fall asleep quite as quickly, but that makes complete sense. It's a habit. I've associated this white noise with being able to fall asleep. So, and then as far as the overtired thing, I feel like that's just so common. So what's the difference between like a good tired? Because I talk to my families about making sure that, you know, the kids are getting plenty of exercise, especially with this quarantine time. I found that some kids are having trouble falling asleep because they're not being active. So they're not moving their bodies. So what's the difference between an appropriately stimulated baby and mm -hmm. one that's overtired? Where do you cross the line there? Yeah. So let's talk about babies and let's talk about toddlers too and the kind of the difference. So like the toddler overtired looks like being wired at the end of the day when they've gotten past that, past that point where they are just like wound up. You kind of miss the window a little bit there, right? Okay. It's going to be harder now to get them to settle. In kiddos, we've all been trained to look for like the rubbing of the eyes and the yawning. And in younger kiddos, like newborns, even up to like four or five months, there's actually a really subtle set of signs that come before that, where they were maybe making eye contact with you and smiling, and now they're disengaging and they're looking a little bit glazed over and their limb activity is decreasing. That's the window where you want to start your nap time or your bedtime routine. And then they start yawning and they're getting a little bit overtired. And honestly, for some kids, the signs are very hard to read. And so I like to use awake times. I like time to help guide me in conjunction with these. So for example, like a four month old really can comfortably stay awake for about an hour and 45 minutes max. And then they need to be back asleep around that time. So that's the one thing I wish we could all get when we come home from the hospital is this little note that says, try and help your newborn be back asleep within about a, one hour of being awake. Because mm -hmm. that can be really helpful. And it feels really weird. Like one hour, they basically eat, they get burped, and we're putting them back down. Like the, the TV shows don't show you that. Shouldn't they be awake? And I should be doing all these wonderful things to be engaging with them. But no, that's kind of what they need. And then if you miss that, you get into that red zone of where they're fussy and you're spending all that time bouncing and trying to get them down. Down. This is for the average kiddo, I would say, right? There's all there's always other kids that have kind of underlying things that make it harder for them to fall asleep. But um, in general, good tired, overtired can be a fine line. Yeah. Wow. I'm learning so much. Okay. So we know why there might be some issues there. Now we know that it's a learned habit and that often our babies are probably overtired and our toddlers too. So why do parents struggle so much with helping their baby sleep? So I feel like this is a whole separate issue, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that question. Okay. A couple things. We see society, we see all these pictures of these sleeping babies, beautiful sleeping babies in baskets. We think it kind of should be this natural instinctual thing, right? Even when you bring them home from the hospital, they basically wake up, eat and go right back to sleep. Um, for the most part. So we don't think that it's something that we should have to work at. I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the other thing is in my newborn class, I teach like you are in charge of knowing when sleep should happen. And we don't think that necessarily. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think there's 
a lot of debate about crying, right? Mm -hmm. And no one wants to hear the little one cry. Absolutely. But there's, you know, there's different approaches to helping kids cry. For one thing, I mean, now we're getting into like the sleep training discussion, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? And I hate that term because we train our pets, but we teach our children, Mm -hmm. right? And because this is a learned skill. And it's not just about how they fall asleep at bedtime. Sleep teaching is about their 24 hours. Like, are they getting enough to eat during the day? Am I watching the clock, making sure I'm setting them up for success with the timing of sleep? And then when I take away that sleep crutch, that thing, that external thing that they like and know to fall asleep, how am I now offering comfort to those tears? And what age is my child? Like, I'm going to do something completely different with a five-month-old than I might with like a 14-month-old because they have different needs. They have perhaps different temperaments. Temperament is so important. I mean, I could give two parents the same directives and one person's very successful and the other was like, that didn't work at all for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So going back to your question, what do you think about that, about why we have such yeah, no, I think I think the crying thing is huge. So I think yeah. every parent associates them helping the child learn how to sleep with a lot of tears and they do believe and I think maybe there was some stuff a while back because now we have like the attachment parenting and stuff. So I think that there was some beliefs a while back that have stuck that mm-hmm. basically you're going to psychologically damage your child. <laughs> so yes. there's a lot of parents are really, really stressed yeah. out about that. Yeah. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. And I think there's like um, definitions that are used very differently out there. Okay, so one of them is sleeping through the night. What is sleeping through the night? Well, in the newborn stage, a lot of people talk about six hours. My baby is sleeping through the night. But then there could be another mom that sleeping through the night for her is 11 hours without eating. Yeah. Right? And so we're throwing these terms around. And we're throwing around cry it out. What does cry it out mean to you? Mm Because to me, it actually means to close the door and not go back in. And Mm -hmm. I don't love that. Because Mm -hmm. I imagine that I'm that little kiddo and I want to know that I've been heard and acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Right? But I think when you start looking at sleep as a learned habit... Well, anytime I'm going to change the way sleep looks to my kiddo, they're allowed to protest and show me that they're not comfortable with that. And it's my job to let them know they've been heard, offer some comfort, but in a different way. Um, and there's a lot more that you can do than just fervor. Like there's, you know, there's, there's programs where you're right beside them, offering them your verbal reassurance and your physical touch, um, and then slowly moving things away. But I do agree that most kids, like having done this for years and years, just about everyone has some tears and how, how far that will be will depend on your child's to age to some extent, definitely their temperament, what you've tried already, right? Cause there's a lot of people in the middle of the night, they're like, Oh, can't do this anymore. I'm just gonna let them cry. And they let them cry for a half an hour and then they pick them up and nurse them. Well, yeah. pretty sure the next time we try this, it's going to be at least a half an hour probably. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, no one wants to hear their kiddo cry, but at the same time, like is what the way we're doing this, sustainable. So people always ask me, when is the best time to sleep train? I'm like, when you feel like the way you've been doing it is no longer sustainable because either you feel resentful or you look at your child and you think they look really tired or you just feel like we can't go on like this. Yes. No, I completely agree with that because there's a lot of different ways to parent and there's a lot of different ways to sleep 
with or without yes. your child. And for some families, there's some things that work really well that would be a nightmare for another family. So Absolutely. I just tell moms, really, it's what you're comfortable with. Is it working for you? Do you, Are you getting the sleep you want? Do you feel like your child's getting the sleep that they need? And if mm-hmm. not, then let's talk about the different options. But there's a wide range of different possibilities, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of this process is figuring out what works for you and your little person. Yes, absolutely. And coming to terms with the way you thought you might parent, you know, isn't necessarily working for you. And that can be a big pivot. That's what happened to me. I wanted to do the attachment parenting thing and it was like, just not working. So what do we do now? Oh my gosh, does this like, this is, you know, wreaking havoc on my whole, um, you know, self-image or who I thought I was going to be. And that could be an internal battle for a lot of people too. Yeah. Well, I think that's like describes all of parenting, right? Like we have these like romantic images of what we thought we're going to, what it's going to be like when we're parents and what kind of parents we're going to be. And then we have kids we're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is really different than I ever imagined. I always mm-hmm. tell parents that you like, you just don't know what it's going to be like until you do it. You just got to mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. and then you adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then let's talk about these habits and establishing this good learned sleep habit. When should parents start and mm-hmm. how early can you start sleep teaching them so that mm-hmm. they can have good sleep? Yeah. So I believe you can start from the beginning, um, from, you know, week two, let's say the most important thing, making sure your, your baby's gaining weight, getting your milk supply up if you're nursing. But then with my daughter, so this, she was second. I was like, I am not doing what I did with him again. We are not doing that. So I started from like really the second week working on, uh, you know, putting her down awake and calm and helping her fall asleep in the bassinet. I really do believe that there's like this little window between four and eight weeks where you can start um, teaching them to fall asleep on their own with your help in the bassinet though. Like mm-hmm. if that's a huge win, if you can just get them falling asleep from awake in the bassinet with your hand on them while you kind of gently rock them back and forth and help them settle. That's essentially what the snoo does, right? Yeah. It, it kind of helps them fall asleep in the place that they're going to be maintaining sleep for that night. And also long-term mm-hmm. that's huge. The other big thing at the beginning where I fell off the wagon is with the attachment parenting approach that I was kind of working on, maybe I wasn't doing it right, but I was just like feeding him on demand all the time. And what that did for us was mask those tired signs. And so I was missing those obvious signs that I see now, but I was missing those. So I had to become an intentional feeder. So when he came to the breast, he drained one side and took the other one. And so I can rule out variables as to why he's not sleeping right? Okay. You had a really good feed. I know now you can go at least three hours during this daytime stretch. And so if you're fussy in between, I'm going to use my other parenting skills to figure out why that is. And if those don't work, then yeah, I'm going to feed you again, but I'm going to, you know, try and figure out what those are. And then from there, I feel like three months is kind of a gray area because you're kind of stuck. Now you've got establishes established patterns kind of happening, but kids are still too young to go to any kind of crying approach. And I don't work with the tears until after after four months of age. Mm -hmm. Um, And then really it's up to you. Like we talked about, when's the best time when you feel like, you know, we're not really, we can't go on like this. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. That's really, really great. Um, Do you have, and I know that it's, it's going to be different between if you start early and you get Mm -hmm. those sleep habits established um, from toddlerhood, because there's like this big Mm -hmm. transition, like maybe your baby did really well in the crib and now you're transitioning to a toddler bed. I feel like there's like a big shift 
And Mm -hmm. now we're having problems with getting a toddler back to sleep. What are some tips you have for that? Yeah. So in general, I try and keep kids in a crib until at least age two and a half. After two and a half, even three, they start to understand like um, rewards a little bit more and motivation. So you can start using like rewards charts. I don't love rewards charts because they do have like that what's in it for me kind of connotation, but they are really great at short term at, at, at molding behavior. So that would be the first thing. The second thing with toddlers is really the timing of sleep. So a lot of bedtimes are based on when people come home, when they can have dinner as a family and then getting our toddlers down. But most toddlers on like one nap, let's say, most of them can't really stay awake more than about five hours, four to five hours from when they woke up from that nap. So, you know, a 20 month old on one nap who wakes up at three o'clock needs to be back asleep between seven and eight o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And then when we're not putting them to bed earlier, when we're putting them to bed, say at nine o'clock, they want more help. And that's where I see people starting to have to lie beside their toddler because now they're in a toddler bed if they've done that t- too soon. And they, they have no, you have no control over toddlers, right? Yes. We have no control. I can't control your behavior. I can't control your outbursts. All I can try and do is make sure that I've set you up for success with the timing of sleep and then being able to consistent at how we, how we fall asleep. So toddlers, you, you get into a whole, like sleep skill is important, but timing is super important. And then your parenting skills of, I hear that you're upset, sports casting, letting them know they've been heard, letting them work through their emotions. I can't mute those emotions. They're little people they are allowed to do, you know, to, to, to express that to me. And it's my job to stay calm, cool and collected and compassionate towards them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely validating those emotions is really important. And I love how, you know, you're talking about this time. I've never heard that approach that way. I'm going to say my situation was really different because my oldest son is a very large kid. So he started climbing out of his crib at 15 months and it was not safe anymore to keep him in there. I mean, after the second time yes. when I hear the thud, they're like, uh, <laughs> it was like a nightmare, you know, once they're sleeping great, sleeping through the night and now they're, they're little escape artists. And I know that that's not very common, but it can happen. It can. So yeah. tell me about a little bit more about, about routines and how we, how it evolves over time. So you're talking about really looking at it from how long can my child comfortably stay awake? How does that change from newborn through toddlerhood and, you know, the number of hours you should be looking at them staying comfortably awake? Yeah. Okay. So around like five months, it's two hours, six months, it's about two and a half, seven months, it's two hours and 45 minutes. Um, you know, nine, 10, 11 months, it's like three, three and a half by 12 months. It's about four hours. And then you start getting into that two nap to one nap, nap transition somewhere around 15 months. Okay. And then things kind of flip where you have a longer awake time before your one nap. It's between five and six and a half hours. And then after the nap, it's about four to five hours to be asleep. Okay. Yeah. yeah so at, after the, towards the end of the day, you can't go quite as long for the toddlers. Yeah. I think this makes a lot of sense because, you know, you do see toddlers in the evenings that are just wired and parents tell me like, it's like, you know, they're charged. They're like battery powered at night when it's everybody's sleepy and they're just like, ah, and it probably is because they need to be in bed a little bit sooner. We've missed those kind of cues for them. Mm -hmm. What common mistakes do you see that parents make? I mean, we've kind of talked a little bit about it, but what other mistakes do you see that parents make when they're coming to teaching their children to sleep? 
Yeah, definitely the most common is the set bedtime. So it's eight o'clock every night, um, especially in those like first two years. I like a flexible schedule. So I feel like a set schedule can set people up to fail, especially mm. when you have so many naps, because a set schedule has the implication that you can control exactly how long each nap will be. Mm. Right. And that's not always the case. Sometimes they take a shorter nap because they're teething or they poop themselves awake or they were up in the night. So they take an extra long nap. Right. So I like a flexible schedule was the idea that every time they wake up, I'm projecting out when that next nap should be based on those awake times. And same with the feeding. Every time they feed, I'm projecting out the next kind of feeding window when I think they should be getting hungry. And when they're fussy in between, I'm troubleshooting my other parenting skills. Do they need to burp? Are they bored? Are they teething? What else could be going on here that they're kind of fussy? Um, so most common mistake then would be the bedtime. Um, I guess the second one would be, I guess it's kind of radical, but I'm, I think drowsy, put them down drowsy, but awake sets up a, a lot of people up to fail mm -hmm. um, because it's a fine line between drowsy and half asleep. Um, so that might be somewhere we start thinking about more of calm, but awake. Um, and then the third thing would be trying to teach something new in the middle of the night. So for a lot of parents, you know, and, and if you're nursing to sleep and it's working for you, amazing, right? Um, some people get lucky and they can nurse to sleep. They sleep all night long and they have great naps. But very commonly I see, well, then they wake up three or four hours later. And the only way he'll go back to sleep is if I nurse him. So often I hear, well, last night I tried not to nurse him to see what would happen in the middle of the night. Well, he can't learn something new in the middle of the night. That's too hard, right? You got to start at bedtime. So however you fall asleep at bedtime, expect your kiddo to, to want that in the middle of the night. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. No, I'm learning a ton. This is great. Okay, good. Making great. notes <laughs> that I can teach all my patient parents. Okay. I love this because I, I mean, I'm, I make a lot of mistakes when I'm teaching my parents because I do tell them the drowsy but awake, but it makes complete sense. What you're saying is that what is drowsy really, if they're already half asleep, then you kind of taught them to fall half asleep. So they're awake, but they're calm. They're not anxious. They're not crying. So pick a time after you've done this window. So you know, it's been the approximate number of hours. They should be starting to get sleepy. Maybe we're seeing some cues and now you're going to help them learn how to fall back asleep. And then don't do something completely new in the middle of the night. That's stressful for everybody. If you're going to start a new thing, start it at the beginning. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. You had mentioned RIE parenting, and I actually don't know what that is. So can you tell me what that is and how does it relate to sleep? Yeah. So um, RIE parenting is um, developed by Magda Gerber, and I found her through Janet Lansbury, through parent, a parent podcast. Um, and it's the idea that your child is um, something that we can't control, that they are basically little people. They have feelings, thoughts, emotions. They're allowed to express them just like us and that we need to acknowledge that. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So basically, it's just a philosophy about knowing that we have to accept our kids the way that they're born, um, but we validate them and we can teach them and guide them along the way, sounds like. Exactly. Where they're ambassadors and that they are capable. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us going into this 
uh, maybe even in my generation, like we're very authoritarian. Like I thought my kids would listen to me because I'm the parent. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't seem to be working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I found Janet Lansbury was with challenges with my my son on behavior. And um, and when I read all about Rye Parenting, I'm like, oh, that's what I've been doing in my sleeping approach. So it, yeah, it's kind of cool. was a great, yeah. Okay. Well, what are some indications that a baby or a toddler might have more than just your typical sleep mm. struggles, or there might be some kind of medical issue that needs to be addressed? Yeah, great question. So obviously, depending on the age, like toddlers who are extremely restless in the night, or they have snoring, um, dark circles under their eyes. And then if you're doing sleep teaching at any age, if you're not seeing improvement in a few days, right? Either improvement being less tears to fall asleep, less night waking, longer stretches of sleep. Hmm. What else is going on here? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely had cases where we discovered there's actually some reflux happening because mm-hmm. we're not seeing improvement. So we start digging in, asking more questions. Um, in the newborn stage, I, when I hear a parent say, my baby will only sleep on me, I immediately want to rule out is there any kind of reflux or is there anything making her uncomfortable that she feels like she just needs that much more comfort? Mm-hmm. Um, so picking up on like silent reflux, referring them to, for their physician to have a look at that, asking them about their breastfeeding, um, thinking about, you know, your latch, if you're breastfeeding, is it, is it good? Or are you hearing clicking? Like what else could be making your child uncomfortable? Cause if your latch isn't good, you might be swallowing some air and that's giving them gas. Um, also with breastfeeding, like do you have oversupply? Is it, is it coming out super fast? And it's like drinking out of a fire hose for your little person. And that can cause them to swallow air and then be gassier through the night. Um, so um, yeah, those are kind of the things, the questions that I, I watch for. Okay. Um, with sleep teaching. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So really what you're saying is once you start integrating some of these different routines and habits, parents should start to see results within a few days. And so if they're not seeing that there might be something else up, their child is having some sort of pain or discomfort that they're needing a lot of mm-hmm. support with in order to yeah. kind of fall asleep. And I should make a little caveat to that. As long as the parents are sure they're being a hundred percent consistent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Consistency is so important. That's one thing that I always tell my parents, just like you said before, with changing behavior, because they are learned behaviors as far as like waking up and needing to fall back asleep. Um, if you're not consistent, it's really hard to, to form that new habit. So yeah, very good. Very good advice. What do you wish more parents knew? I wish they knew when they, like I mentioned earlier, when they come home from the hospital, that it's their job to decide when sleep should happen and that they have to kind of work to make it happen, especially at the beginning. And I wish that a lot of new moms knew that they're really important people too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think coming from Canada, when I was on my maternity leave, we have an entire year off, right? With our... Yeah, which is such a wonderful experience. I feel so grateful for that because then you go to like stroller size and you meet this whole village that you're with for months on end. But I also feel because of that, I feel like a lot of parents just kept waking up in the night dealing with the sleep things because it was their job for that whole year. And I would love to say like, your baby is capable and you are an important person too. Like you could enjoy your maternity leave that much more. 
Um, and it's been a really interesting shift to come down, move down here to the United States where parents have to go back to work so early. I see so many more four month olds here than I ever did in Canada. Um, but just that, you know, it's possible your baby is capable. Oh, that is, that is such a good point because I can totally identify with that, with that feeling of like motherhood almost needs to be a sacrifice and that really it's okay if you're a total sleep deprived zombie, don't complain about it. That's just what motherhood is. And so Mm -hmm. I do feel a lot of moms in my practice that they wait a long time to ask for Mm -hmm. help because of that, because they feel like, well, I'm home and this is my job and I should be fine with not sleeping. You know, I mean, that's a really great point. What personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Um, I've been working really hard on mindfulness with my kids and, and I've been taking a class through the hospital and I'm translating that even to, into my morning routine. So I say the habit would be my new morning routine. I don't know how many people have told me in the past, get up before your kids do. Right. And when they were young, I was just too tired. Like, even though they were great sleepers, I was just really tired. I wish someone had said to me, get up 15 minutes before your kids do. Cause that would have been more, seem more achievable, you know, yeah. to be able to just check your email or I don't know, have a cup of coffee in silence for, for 10 or 15 minutes. But right now, especially with, with, um, these certain uncertain times that we're living in, it's really important for me to get up, take some space for myself. Um, always go for a walk. I always have my cup of tea and I've been doing some journaling in the morning and, uh, I just feel a lot calmer throughout the entire day because of it. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. It, and it is true. I mean, finding your own little self-care routines, it a little goes a long way. So that's very Mm -hmm. important. Well, I would love to know what services and products you offer and maybe a couple of other resources that you can direct parents to that are at the beginning of this journey, either with uh, little babies or older children and they're struggling with sleep. Yeah. So for babies zero to two years, come and take my sleep quiz. So I put together six simple questions to assess like the amount of sleep, how your baby's falling asleep, your baby's age. And then I send you a personalized response with like a high five for things that are going well for you. And maybe one simple thing that, you know, might be the root of your, of your sleep challenges if you're having them. Um, So that's my sleep quiz. And then for toddlers, I created a toddler terrorism guide for kiddos who are two to four. And I use that term. I stole it from one of my clients who said, I'm being held captive by him because she had to sit beside him every night um, to fall asleep. And so that's working on like, what is the ideal timing for your toddler? Because that's the easiest thing that you can pick off right away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then for my services, so I do high touch one-to-one consultations. So I like to hold people's hands through the whole two-week process. Um, I use the, I have those services available. And then I also have a school now. It's called Helping Babies Sleep School. It's online classes for newborn babies and toddlers, two to four years. And the idea is you can come in, watch any class that you want, and you get to have access to my private Facebook group where I go live and take questions from parents. Because I've always found like, you always have a follow-up question. Like Mm -hmm. my kiddo's doing that, is that normal? Um, And so I created the group with that purpose in mind. Because you can buy a book, but you'll still have a question about like, is this the right thing to be doing? So I wanted to be there for that extra reassurance. So helpingbabiesleep.com. Okay, so they can find all of that on your website, helpingbabiesleep.com. And where can listeners connect with you online apart from your website? Um, I'm very active on Instagram at helpingbabiesleep. Beautiful. 
Okay. So last thing is I want you to leave my listeners with one call to action. So what is one thing that they can do right now to improve their child's sleep? It's definitely going to be timing. And those are available in the two resources I mentioned already, those free resources. Timing of sleep will be the most important thing to getting more sleep with less effort. Okay. So you heard it from her. Start paying attention to the timing of your baby or your toddler's sleep. And we'll definitely list all of your resources in the show notes so that they can easily find it. But this has been awesome. I've learned so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli.